Over the next four weeks, uh, with the month of December, I'd like to focus our attention on the birth of Christ. I've been thinking about how to do this and and where to go. I've never done a a Christmas series before. Uh, But how many of you remember a Christmas program we did years ago called the 12 Voices of Christmas? Does that ring a bell? I think several of you even were involved with that and uh, took part in that. Um, What I'd like to do is take several of those voices and uh, just look at them. It was basically an idea of looking at Christmas through the eyes of several people that were involved in the story. And obviously we can't cover all 12 of them. Uh, We're not going to try to to pull that off. I guess if the Lord so leads and as he tarries, there'll be some for future years. We'll see how that goes. Um, But at this point, we're going to look at four. And uh, the first one that we're going to look at We think often of Mary and Joseph, we think of the shepherds, we think of the wise men. Those are the most integral ones. But the one that comes to my mind first is the angel Gabriel. Uh, He's the first one that's involved in the story here. He's the one that God chose to begin it all. And so I want to look at his perspective today. And what I'll do is I'll begin with the reading that was part of that Christmas program. And then we'll just look at the scripture and see what else we can learn about this character or about seeing Christmas through his eyes And I trust it will be an encouragement as we look at that today. So here we have Gabriel, the voice of disclosure. Don't be afraid. That's how I usually start my conversations with humans. For some reason, whenever I make an appearance, people seem to fall down in terror. It takes more than a little reassurance often to get them back on their feet. My name is Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, near the consuming fire of his holiness, And from time to time, I stand in the presence of humans. While I've been to earth on many specific missions, none can compare to the one I'll relate to you now. My assignment began with a visit to Zacharias, an aging priest who had served his master with distinction. His wife Elizabeth had been childless to that point, would soon conceive and bear a son. I flew to Jerusalem, finding Zacharias burning incense alone in the holy place. Making my way behind the altar, I stood quietly by the veil. For several minutes, I watched him work before he finally looked my way. You should have seen the look on his face. No one is more startled to see someone than one who thinks he is all alone. Don't be afraid, Zacharias. I started the standard reassurance. Jehovah has heard your prayers, and he's pleased to answer them. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will call his name John. I never know exactly what to expect from humans. This was news of great hope and great joy, yet Zacharias did not believe me. He said they were too old to have children. I said again, my name is Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. But still, he did not believe me. Disbelief in a holy place, disbelief at the altar of incense, disbelief in the very dwelling of God among men, I was frankly appalled. Well, if he would not believe my good news, then he would have to believe some bad news. I raised my voice again in disclosure, telling Zacharias that he would not be able to speak until my message was fulfilled. What a sad irony that he who had received such good news could not share it with anyone because of his own doubt. Well, six months later, Jehovah sent me on the second stage of this mission. This time, my destination wasn't the capital city, but the village of Nazareth on the southern edge of Galilee. Nazareth, you ask? That sleepy little backwater town? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, I understand your surprise, but there was no mistake. My contact person was a young virgin, and her name was Mary. I found her alone in her parents' home and told her to be of good cheer, for she was highly favored in God's sight. 
Though Mary was startled, she seemed more puzzled at what I had said than afraid of who I was. I told her that she would bear a son and that his name would be Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah. She was quiet for a moment, and then she asked me how she could be pregnant since she'd never been with a man. Details, details. Here I was announcing the greatest theological event in history, and she wanted to talk biology. But then, maybe it wasn't such an innocent question. This theological event would mean nothing if it was not tied to the blood and water of human existence. Truly, the Son of God come in the flesh was nothing short of a miracle. It's not an easy thing to explain a miracle to a human being. All I could do was tell her that nothing is impossible with God. And Mary humbly and graciously accepted the will of God for her life as she said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. With my second mission accomplished, I had one more disclosure to make. Mary left to visit Elizabeth in the hill country and was gone for several months. When she returned, it was quite obvious that she was pregnant. Of course, this news caused no small stir and small town gossip began to spread. Joseph was Mary's fiancé. And therefore, he was the subject of much unjust speculation. Truth be told, he had some painful questions of his own. My mission was to convince Joseph that it was both legitimate and proper for him to proceed with the marriage plans. I communicated my message to him in a dream, persuading him that Mary had not been unfaithful and that this child had been conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. Joseph believed my news and accepted his new role, although with a bit of apprehension. The temporary ridicule he would have to endure could not compare to the joy of being chosen to raise the very Son of God. <clears throat> My mission was complete. My voice of disclosure had announced that God's plan of redemption prophesied so many years ago had begun. Three messages from heaven, not causes for fear, but reasons for hope. So prepare the way. A son is born to the throne of David, and he will save his people from their sins. Gabriel, the voice of disclosure. The idea of disclosure is the thought of making an announcement. <clears throat> it's the idea of giving news that had not been heard before. And that's what Gabriel did. Gabriel was the one that started the wheels turning. He got things turning. He got things going in motion. And so let's take a little while and look at his voice here today. Let's start with just some general information. What do we see as we look at scripture? And there's not a lot revealed to us about Gabriel. Uh, he's a magnificent angel. Uh, but scripture doesn't illuminate us a whole lot. We see, first of all, his name. Uh, he's one of three angels that are mentioned by name in scripture. Without looking, can you think of the other two? Michael is the obvious one. And most commentaries say there's only two, but there's a third one. And his name is Lucifer. He was an angel. He was created by God, and we have his name recorded in scripture. Uh, Michael, he means, his name means who is like God. Uh, he's, he's the archangel. He's a powerful angel. Uh, kind of the military angel. Lucifer is the light bearer. He's the one that God created uh, to demonstrate his life, the bright, bright and shining one, the morning star. And yet we say that he sinned and he was cast out of heaven. And then we have Gabriel, and his name means the mighty one of God, or literally it means the might of the strong one. So God created this being, this angel Gabriel, to demonstrate the might of his power. Um, quite a responsibility. Next, we see his titles or references. How is he referred to in Scripture? Well, we see there's times where he's referred to as the man Gabriel. And I think that was re reflecting his form. Quite often, when he would come to earth, he would come in human form. He would look like a man as he interacted with people. 
We see him referred to as the angel Gabriel, and that reflects his nature. He's a spirit being. He is an angel. And I know that you know this, but it's good to reiterate it, especially this time of year, but angels are supernaturally created spirit beings, right? They're not, as the popular movie says, humans that have earned their wings by living good on this life and entering into the next, right? We understand that. If you've got a picture of this chubby cherub, when I say angel, you've got to get that out of your mind and replace it with something that evokes a little more terror and a little more fear. These are mighty, powerful angels. Gabriel was created to manifest the might and power of God. And I think if he appeared to any one of us, we'd do the same thing these people did. We'd fall on our faces before him. Angels are not to be worshipped, but there was fear there and there was reverence that was given to them. So he's referred to as the man Gabriel, the angel Gabriel. He's also referred to as this, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. We'll see that verse here in just a little while. And I believe that's referring back to his position. So what are his duties? We've seen his name and his titles. We see his duties. Excuse me. He stands in the presence of God. I think he's ready to obey God's commands at a moment's notice. He's just on standby to do whatever it is that God wants him to do. Boy, there's a good lesson for us in that, isn't there? As we stand before God, are we ready to do everything that God wants us to do? We can learn from that. Where Michael appears to be the military general, Gabriel is called God's messenger. When there's a message of great importance or perhaps a message of great urgency, Gabriel is the one that God dispatches to carry out that mission. Indication that he's very fast in one of the passages. He came quickly. Um, He's swift. Let's look finally at his missions here as we look through this, this context. There's four specific times that Gabriel is mentioned in Scripture, four different missions that he goes on. I, I personally believe that he did a lot more than just those four missions. And I think there's probably some of them that are recorded for us in Scripture. We just don't have his name attached. And we'll mention a couple of those as we go through this. But if you would turn with me to Daniel chapter 8. The first time we see Gabriel mentioned by name in Scripture is in Daniel in chapter 8. It wasn't that long ago that we went through part of the book of Daniel in a Sunday night study. And as you know, we're moving further into the book here. We're seeing some of the visions, the historical part of, as far as Daniel and the captivity and being brought into Babylon and all of that. We're, we're through that section. And there's several visions and dreams and prophecies that we see in the last part. And that's the section that we're in. And in Daniel chapter 8, uh, Gabriel is sent to Daniel to interpret a vision that he has. And we don't have time to look through this, the whole passage as far as what this vision is, but it's the vision of the ram and the he-goat. If you've read through this, you understand what I'm talking about. And so Daniel has this vision, and he sees all of this, but he has no idea what it means. And so Gabriel is dispatched to help him to understand. Look down in verse 15. It came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning. What do you think that means? He's praying. He's asking God to help him understand. Lord, I want to know what this is talking about. I think there's prayer involved there. <clears throat> then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So he hears a voice, and the voice tells Gabriel, the angel, help him to understand. Clarify what's going on here. And so the rest of the chapter is Gabriel explaining what this vision meant. And uh, there's a lot there as far as the historical side of it with uh, the Medo-Persian Empire and Alexander the Great and then the generals that come after him. And, and we've gone through some of that. We don't need to belabor the point. But it was Gabriel that was brought to Daniel to explain that to him. Look over in Daniel chapter 9 where we see Gabriel coming to him again. 
In chapter 8, it says it's the third year of Belshazzar. Belshazzar was the king of Babylon with the handwriting on the wall. Does that help put a context to the story there? And then when we get to chapter 9, it's the first year of Darius the Mede. So Babylon has fallen. It's no, longer, it's no longer under Nebuchadnezzar and his sons and grandsons. It's now under the Medes and the Persians. And it's interesting, as Daniel is here in this chapter, he's reading the books of the, of the Old Testament. He's reading scrolls from Jeremiah. And as he reads through there, he sees that it's 70 years of punishment that's supposed to be determined on Israel. And he's thinking to himself, wow, we're getting close to the end of that 70 years. And he begins to fast and he begins to pray and he begins to seek the Lord's face. And the first part of the chapter is his prayer as he's praying to God and confessing his sins and the sins of his people. And then we get down to chapter 9 and verse 20. And here's what he says. While I was yet speaking and praying and confessing my sins and the sins of my people Israel, presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, while I was yet speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, caused, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and to give thee understanding. And so Gabriel comes now to Daniel, and, and what we see in the rest of the chapter is he's giving him this idea of the 70 weeks, that prophecy that's determined upon Israel. And there's no way we can delve into that right now. Again, we've talked about it on Sunday evening. Um, but that's the, that's the prophecy that he's bringing to Daniel here, and it's Gabriel that's doing it. If we did take time to read through this, it's interesting. There's a common thread between this prophecy and what, Daniel is going to re- or what Gabriel is going to reveal to both Zacharias and Mary. What is part of this prophecy? It mentions the Messiah being cut off, and it gives a time frame for the Messiah to come, and it's, it's 69 weeks of seven. 483 years. So there's the, he's pinpointing when the Messiah is going to come. And it's interesting that Gabriel is the one that's involved with that. That announcement, way in the Old Testament, and now he's also involved with Zacharias and Mary when that announcement becomes fulfilled. To me, that's kind of cool. I think there's a connection there. And so that's, that's important here. We see in Daniel chapter 9, uh, Gabriel appears to Daniel again. Now, if you read on in chapter 10, this is another passage that I think is a possibility that it might be Gabriel. If you look at the wording of the angel that comes to him and how he relates to Daniel, it's very similar to what we see in, in chapters 8 and chapter 9. I think it's likely that it's, it's Gabriel here as well, um, but that's not something I'd quibble over. I don't think we can know that for sure. Um, but this might be one of those other missions. It would make sense that he would finish the job. Let's move now to the New Testament. Turn with me to Luke in chapter 1. The book of Luke, chapter 1. We see, starting in verse 11, that Gabriel is sent to Zacharias to inform him that he and his wife would have a son. You look down in verse 26, and we see him appearing to Mary, informing her that she was going to bear the Messiah. So these are the next two instances where Gabriel is mentioned by name. Now, if you remember to the reading that we read here at the beginning, the author of that reading also thinks that Gabriel was the one that came to Joseph. And if you want to jot down in in your notes there, it's Matthew chapter 1 and verses 18 to 25 uh, where we see that. He's not mentioned by name. The King James actually says, the angel of the Lord which may not be the best translation. The definite article is not there. I think an angel of the Lord is a better translation. And so that wouldn't preclude this from being Gabriel. We don't know for sure if it was him or not. Again, would it make sense that he would complete the mission and do all three of those? I think it kind of does. 
Uh, but we don't know that for sure, and so I didn't go that route as far as including him here in, in the message today. But that's something you can chew on, and uh, you let me know what you think after you've read on it a little bit, and uh, give me your perspective. <clears throat> All right, let's look a little closer at these two New Testament accounts. Let me get a drink here. I got a little scratch. <clears throat> so in Luke chapter 1, we see Gabriel's appearance to Zacharias. How long had it been since the nation of Israel had heard from God, either through a vision or through an angel or through a prophet? It's been 400 years uh, since the end of the Old Testament with Malachi. Um, it, it's been a long time. And now God has chosen Gabriel as the messenger to break that silence. Now, that's an honor. Uh, if we look down in Luke chapter 1, and in verse 8, it came to pass that while he executed, while Zacharias executed the priest's office before the Lord, I turned two pages here, uh, in remembrance of, um, I turned three pages, here we go. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. Verse 11, there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. So we see Zacharias offering incense. He's fulfilling his responsibility. The priest would rotate through different jobs, and it was his job to take care of the, of the altar of incense. And so he's in the temple, and if you think through this with me, out in the outer court, you're going to have the altar of burnt offerings, right? And then as you move to the west, as you move in a little bit further, you're going to have the laver, where they would wash and purify things. And then as you enter into the main part of the building, if it's the tabernacle, you're entering into the tent, into the holy place. In the temple, you're entering into the building itself. You're going to have the table of showbread up to facing north, and you're going to have the golden lampstand facing the south. And you're going to have this area in between, and as you move closer to the veil, the holy of holies, you're going to have the altar of incense. So as you're putting this in your mind, you're kind of thinking about where he is in the, in the temple. And it says that the angel Gabriel appears and he goes to the right of the altar of incense. So he's standing there. And I don't know whether he was hiding or whether it was a while before uh, Gabriel or before Zacharias saw him. If he was in prayer, it likely is true that he was startled. Uh, I think that makes sense. I don't think that's stretching things too far. Um, but he's just outside the curtain, just outside the veil. And uh, there's a neat association with prayer here. The altar of incense, and I think Gabriel as well. What were the people doing outside while Zacharias was offering the sacrifice, offering the incense? They were praying. It was a quiet moment. It was a reverent moment. Morning and evening this took place, and it's a picture of the priest's intercessory prayer responsibilities. It's interesting that the idea of incense connected to the prayers of the saints is mentioned in Revelation twice. There's that connection between incense and our prayers. And even in verse 13, what does the angel say to Zacharias? Your prayer has been heard. Your, your prayer has been answered. Three of Gabriel's four visits recorded in Scripture were directly in response to prayer. And there's significance to that. Well, Gabriel's presence caused Zacharias to be troubled and to be afraid. The quietness of the moment was broken by him being startled. And there was fear. He was overcome by fear. He was enveloped by fear is the thought there. And Gabriel speaks quickly and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You don't have to be, be afraid. God has heard your prayer. And the language is more than God has heard your prayer, but God has chosen to answer your prayer. Now, do you think Zacharias was praying as he was in there offering the incense? I'm sure he was. Do you think he was still praying for a son? Or do you think Gabriel, Gabriel is referring to a prayer that took place 
sometime in the past. Well, by the fact that, that Zacharias shows doubt, I don't think that's what he was praying for. Personally, I believe that Zacharias and, and Elizabeth had given up on that prayer a long time ago. But he's here and he's praying, he's doing his responsibilities, and that's good. Um, but Gabriel is the one that stands in the presence of God. Those times that Zacharias and, and Elizabeth had poured out their hearts to God begging for a son, if Gabriel was in God's presence, did he hear those prayers? I think maybe he did. I think he had, he had a sense of what was going on here. And now I think he's excited to be the good, bearer of good news that those prayers are going to be answered. <clears throat> How long had it been since they prayed? I don't know. Years, possibly. Does time mean anything to God? <laughs> no. It means a lot more to us. Don't give up on those times of prayer. But Gabriel speaks and he calms Zacharias down. He tells him not to fear. He tells him his prayer has been answered. And then he says this, your wife will bear a son. Your wife is going to have a son. And then he gives this kind of a shotgun approach of all these things that he mentions. You're going to call his name John. He's going to bring you great joy and great gladness. Yeah, that's probably an understatement. Uh, imagine what the joy that would come of a, a son in your old age. Others are going to rejoice. They're going to look back on this event with joy and gladness and thanksgiving for what John the Baptist has fulfilled. He's going to be great in the sight of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus makes a comment, of all the men that are born to women, John the Baptist is the greatest. So even he re refers to him that way. He'd be a Nazarite, wouldn't drink wine or strong drink. He'd be filled with the Holy Spirit from the time of his womb. He would begin to turn Israelites back to the Lord. He'd come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Wow. Think of that. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. That's a blessing. He'd turn the hearts of the disobedient to wisdom. He'd make ready a people prepared for the Messiah. John, or Zacharias, don't you understand? You're going to have a son, and his, he is going to come. He's going to pave the way for the Messiah. This is good news. And one would think that the priest, one of the priests of God, would be thrilled with that message. But how does Zacharias respond? He responds with doubt. Notice what he says. <clears throat> Let me find the, my place here as far as back in the scriptures. <clears throat> Zacharias in verse 18 said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? Whereby will I know this? And it doesn't really come across the same in English, but the thought here is, is possibly twofold. It could go one way or the other. It could be, on whose authority are you saying this? Who says this is going to happen? Or it could be a different idea of, on what basis is this going to take place? Give me a sign. Well, Gabriel answers both potential objections, doesn't he? All right, on whose authority? What does he say? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I am sent to give you this message. Just think about this. I'm Gabriel. Do you think that Zacharias might have a little bit of remembrance to who Gabriel is? Would he remember in the Old Testament that Gabriel had come to Daniel? I think he would remember that. I think he had read that before, and that would come to his mind. He'd know who Gabriel is. Then Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. I have a sacred position. I have a special honor as I stand before God. I'm close to him. I, I behold his face. I hear his voice. I attend to his wishes. I obey his commands. I occupy the most honored position before God. You want to know on whose authority? <laughs> I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. But he goes beyond that. And notice what he says next. I am sent. 
Zacharias, this isn't my message. <laughs> you want to know where this message comes from? It comes from my master, from God himself. It's saying this out loud, that you're going to have a son. It comes from him. Well, if, if he meant more the idea of on what basis or give me a sign, well, the angel does that for him as well. Look in verse 20. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because you believe not my words, which will be fulfilled in their season. By the way, did Zacharias's doubt have any effect on whether this would come true or not? No. God had said it, it was going to happen. Whether he doubted it or not, it didn't matter. Um, but what mattered was, here's your sign. You're going to be dumb. The irony that he had such great news to share and he wouldn't be able to speak, he wouldn't be able to verbalize that until this came to pass. Well, that effectively ended the conversation. <laughs> There's no more give and take at this point. He can't speak. And so Gabriel returns to heaven. And I said somewhat tongue-in-cheek, and Zacharias learns to play charades. He learns how to communicate. He learns how to do this without having a voice. And he probably got pretty good at that. And it starts as he walks out of the temple because the people are like, what's going on? And they thought that he'd seen a vision. Well, he'd seen one better. He'd experienced the presence of the angel Gabriel, beginning this whole story, getting the ball rolling. All right, let's look secondly at Gabriel's appearance to Mary. Uh, we'll jump down to verse 26. And there's a lot of things that we want to see here. There's the specifics that, that is mentioned here by Luke is pretty incredible to me. Uh, Luke is trying to make it very clear who he's talking about. There's no ambiguity here uh, from Luke. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Did you catch all the details there in this passage? It's six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy. Gabriel appears. He's being sent by God. Where? To Nazareth. Which Nazareth? Oh, the one that's in Galilee, in case there's a question. Oh, he's coming to Mary. Okay, which Mary? Well, she's a young woman. Okay, that, that's, that narrows it down. Oh, she's also a virgin. Okay, that narrows it down. She's also engaged to a guy named Joseph, but not just any guy named Joseph. A guy named Joseph who's of the house of David. So many specifics. Why? He's trying to make it clear it could only be one person that Gabriel came to. But notice next his salutation. What does he say to Mary? He says, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. The word hail there is, is the idea of rejoice exceedingly. It was a common greeting in those days. Rejoice. But I think more specifically here, hey, Mary, what I'm about to tell you is cause for great joy. You don't understand what I'm going to say here, but let me explain this to you. You're highly favored. The root word there is grace as well. To honor with blessings. God is granting you an incredible gift. You've been singled out above all women that are alive. The Lord is with thee. You. you are blessed among or above women. Put yourself in Mary's shoes. How would you respond to news like that? Well, I think she's caught off guard. It's a lot to process. And if we look down in the passage a little bit further... It says in verse 29 that she, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and she cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She was troubled at his saying. I think the reading gets it right. It wasn't so much that she was fearful at his appearance. She was troubled at what he had to say. Mary is a humble person. She's probably never been talked to like the angel spoke to her. And the idea here is that she cast it in her mind. That It's the idea of, it's where we get the word dialogue from. 
Only this is taking place inside of her mind. She's casting about inside of her mind. She's having a conversation with herself. I don't think anything's being uttered verbally here. Have you ever had those conversations in your head when you hear news? Wait a second, is he talking to me? He can't be serious. And all these things back and forth in her mind as she's trying to figure out what it is that he's saying and what he means by that. What do you mean I found favor with God? Well, I don't know if Gabriel just assumes that her silence means she's too afraid to speak. (laughs) But the next thing he says is what? Don't be afraid. Fear not. And then he reiterates this idea that, um, that you have found favor with God. And then he goes on and uses this little word, behold. And when we see that word in scripture, it's getting our attention. He's saying, pay attention to this, Mary. This is significant. Something wonderful is about to happen. Something extraordinary is about to take place. And he goes on with his whole list. You're going to conceive and bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus, which means what? Jehovah is salvation. He's going to be great. He'll be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. He launches into this whole statement, one after another after another, of who Jesus is, the son that she was about to bear. And what does Mary say? Look down in verse 34. Then Mary said unto the angel, how shall this be? (laughs) I think she's still stuck on the, Mary, you're going to have a child as a virgin. I don't think she's got past that. I think she missed this whole comment about who Jesus was. She hasn't even been able to process all of that yet. How can this be? You know, I don't think that what she said there was spoken in doubt. Not like Zacharias. And the reason I say that is because there's no rebuke, there's no punishment that's given. What's Mary saying? She goes, I've never been with a man. And I'm not going to be with a man until after my marriage to Joseph is consummated. So how can this be? Well, Gabriel then goes on to explain the miracle of the incarnation. Verse 35, the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. How can this be? Well, I don't know that I fully understand it from that explanation. I don't think anybody fully understands it. How can God come to this earth and be born in human flesh? The Holy Ghost will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. And there's a, there's a reference there. The idea here is a shining cloud is going to envelop you in its brightness. Does that make you think of some things back in the Old Testament? Personally, I believe that this is pointing to that cloud that we see in the Old Testament, the cloud of brightness, the, the visible manifestation of the presence and power of God. I think the same cloud that led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Remember that? <clears throat> a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. The same cloud that descended on Mount Sinai with Moses. The same cloud that enveloped the tabernacle. And the same cloud that fell on the temple as Solomon sat there praying at the dedication. Folks, I think it's the same thing. The Shekinah glory of God himself will overshadow you, Mary, and you will conceive. And what takes place in that moment, it will be a holy thing, and it's born of you, and it will be called the Son of God. Wow. Is that a lot to chew on? Absolutely. And Mary doesn't say anything in response. It's interesting to me that Zacharias was asking for a sign. Mary doesn't ask for a sign. But God gives her one anyway, doesn't he? Look at what he says next. And the angel said in verse 36, Behold, again that same word, hey, this is pretty extraordinary. Your cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age. 
And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Here's the sign. Your cousin Elizabeth, she's pregnant already. She's six months along. How old was she? Is that too hard for God? An old woman conceiving, that's nothing for God. A young woman conceiving conceiving while remaining a virgin, that's no problem for God either. Mary, do you believe me? And Mary obediently complies. Notice what she says. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to your words. And then the angel leaves. Gabriel departs. Wow. What a beginning to the story. And Gabriel is the one that's chosen by God to initiate the events of the Christmas story. He relates the timing of the Messiah's coming to Daniel. That's significant. He shares the news of the forerunner with Zacharias. And then here he gently informs Mary that she was graced by God to bear the Messiah. He's setting in motion the events of the greatest narrative that's ever been written. Because of our sin, man cannot come to God. But God so loved the world that he came to us. Jesus, the Messiah, the Emmanuel, left his throne and became a man. He became God with us so that he could ultimately bring us to God. Folks, never get tired of that story. That's what Christmas is all about. We're celebrating the birth of this one that came down that he might give us abundant life on this earth and eternal life with him in heaven. Well, my friends, you know this Jesus is your savior. I trust you do. Have you put your faith and trust in him? As we look now over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at another couple of perspectives. We'll look at Zacharias. We'll see it from his eyes and probably Elizabeth as well. And I'm working from there to see where we're going to go. Oh, my friends, take time to meditate on this story over the, over the four weeks of December. Um, don't just wait till Christmas. Read through these accounts. Think about them. Meditate on them. And, uh, and trust God to show you things that you had not seen before. What a wonderful story. So thankful that God chose to use Gabriel uh, to announce the message, to begin the story of Christmas. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this character that we've looked at today. I thank you that angels are real. I thank you that angels are powerful beings. Uh, Father, Gabriel was dispatched several times because of prayer. Lord, prayer moves you into action. Thank you for that reminder. Father, Gabriel came to Zacharias, and Zacharias exhibited doubt. Father, help us not to exhibit doubt when you come to us through your word and you share truths that are hard for us to understand. Help us to accept by faith and trust you. Help us to be like Mary who took these things in and began to think about them and said, be it unto me according to your word. Father, help us to be like Gabriel who didn't argue but at a moment's notice was willing to obey his master. Father, may we be the same way ourselves. Lord, as we take time over the next several weeks to meditate on this profound story, I pray that you touch us anew. Lord, we've heard it so many times. Help us to open your word and to read it as if we've never read it before. And Lord, as we do, I pray that you would just encourage our hearts again with the wonder of what you've done for us. Father, for that, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.